tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Every Saturday from 3 to 6, talking about the biggest, the most important issues of the week. And this week, an important issue, but it folds into some very big issues of our time, is that Stacey Abrams decided not to run for Senate. And a lot of people were interpreting that as her kind of uh, taking a step back. But my producer Binkley and I have been covering her for a while and fully expected her not to do that. And she almost basically said for the very reason that we think and we would take it one step further is that it's a job it's a it's a grind it's teamwork it's getting things done and that's not what she wants to do what she wants is to be an executive what she wants to do is to be a strategist like this is the thing i went to business school and everybody wanted to do biz dev biz dev business development like nobody wants to be the grinder everybody <laughs> wants to be the strategist you know so those are the hardest and most nebulous jobs to find and uh so th- this is what she says she wants and it's plausible but Binkley, you and i have found that it's not just what she wants it's her it's her assignment is to take this very large leadership role and she's been groomed for it to that I would say our the earliest evidence when you were talking about where she went to high school it I never snapped to the fact that her high school was anything special but but it was I want you to tell me about that in one second but that so she had to be aware of the importance of that and or you know be made aware by her parents whatever and apply for it audition for it in 8th grade and she was already on the way because she has a little story we're going to talk about shortly about uh one of her early successes in fifth grade. But I didn't know this thing about about the high school. What is the story with this high school? It's an art school that she you says ha- she got, went to Ave, Avondale, Avondale, Avondale. Right. But she went to the Decatur School for the Arts, which it's not in existence where it used to be. It, it was located inside of Avondale at that time. So it was inside the building. But she had to audition. Oh, interesting. Now, when she says she was, what, valedictorian of that school, that's when she has the the legend of the mansion. (laughs) Yeah. This story. (laughs) And she says that she was um, disrespected at the gates of the mansion because she got off a city bus. Right. But Zell Miller's chief of staff or chief of security or whatever disputes that uh-huh. and uh, and her campaign did not double down just said you know but you get the idea right yeah <laughs> but but that's where is that do you know if that's the high school that she was the why she was at the mansion was with that high school i'm fairly certain because i've seen them like praise their alumni the decatur school for the arts right. and i've seen them praise her and, and she's in it yeah yeah uh, so okay so my point 
my bigger point is that she's being groomed for something and she's on that. I think she's the heir apparent to uh, Obama. And that she will, that he, you know, his experience, maybe he's not going to be president of the world, but that she would then kind of take it one step further, stand on his shoulders. And so the White House to me feels like a stepping stone for her. So she says she wants to be the executive, but it's really that she needs to be the, you know, the face of it all that, mm-hmm. that she is. So, and this, so she really, she exploits the identity politics in her own words over and over again, she will say, but I see that she exploits the identity politics in two ways. One is it benefits her personally, but she will, she will say that over and over again. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like she's being, uh, that she is being Machiavellian there and using that. But I actually believe she says that to make it feel like she's somebody who needs to, get that hand up who needs to have the affirmative action thing but but i but she does not like she doesn't need laws like affirmative action laws she has her own inside track so she she acts like this is her tool but really it's her assignment it's her assignment so she does voter suppression she does her assignment is to maximize the the importance the value of identity politics and she really embraces that and and promotes it. And one of the things I want to uh, so let's fast forward to today, where just in March, you you she did a long. Would you show me what is this thing? She did? it was a long thing that had very few views on YouTube. Where you pulled these clips from? What is that? What? Where is she speaking? What's the story behind this? The Chatham House. So the Chatham House is the royal is the home of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's the it's the mother of the Council of Foreign Relations, which is its U.S. arm, and she is a member of the CFR. And this is when people talk about globalism. This is ground zero yep. for globalism. This is where Cecil Rhodes and his roundtable launched it all. Rhodes Scholarship, Rhodesia. He owned De Beers. Like this is the guy who said he wanted to reinstitute the British Empire by basically underground making the entire world speak English and adopt social democracy, which is what we have. And yeah. So it's been very effective. They, so if you were going to say these are the people, the them, this, this is, is the, the them. them. <laughs> this place is sanctioned by the Queen, these panel discussions are. Okay. So I, I didn't even know the Queen was in on it, She's but I, on I it. have to believe it. <laughs> okay, so, all right. So here she is in March speaking to this group. And let's, I, I want to skip around here. Like some of the stuff is, is. Let me tell you the subject of it. Oh yeah. It, it's the subject of identity politics and how it benefits democracy. Oh, in all the clips that you sent me of this, I didn't actually find the answer to that question, how it benefits democracy. Because one of the things that's really puzzled me, I mean, I guess you'd have to define democracy in a certain way. What puzzles me is her, her, thing her uh particular raison d'etre whatever is that is this voter suppression idea and she went up against kemp for the governorship here in georgia and she has been crying about the voter suppression thing all all along whatever (laughs) and she picked the perfect candidate you know that's what makes me wonder if he was selected also to be that foil and that 
and that remember she said my job is not to win but to lose well right. so so he might not even have any idea the role he's playing but he's the perfect person to cast credibility doubts on about uh, at the fairness of an election because he was the sitting secretary of state who that is the guy in charge of elections during this election and our favorite local activist, Garland Favrito of Voter GA, filed a criminal and their, his organization filed a criminal complaint against him for irregularities in the handling of the 2016 election and its aftermath. So this is a guy, uh, Kemp, who you could really go after for that stuff. And and weirdly, during the entire campaign, she never went after him for that. And that stuff that they refused to investigate, the prosecutor refused to prosecute and uh, and I, to me, that was absolutely low-hanging fruit in a real knockdown, drag-out campaign, especially for somebody who says they care about the democratic process and voting rights. So that that says to me, it is it isn't about the way I would define democracy, which implies equal representation of all of all the people. It's about democracy as a way of uh, empowering this lever of identity politics, which is why she she doesn't care about actual uh, questions about the legitimacy of the vote. She cares about making sure that the the identity issue is very powerful. Maybe maybe the way lobbies, you know, um, unions, you know, are so powerful because they can bring so much to the table, and, and I'm sure it ties to this. Concept, your uh, Sarsour clip that you've played for us, collective vote. Remember, collective vote. Don't yeah. vote for who you want to vote for. Vote for who we tell you to vote for. Incarcerated people, uh, illegals, whatever, undocumented people. So I think it all goes hand in hand with that. So let's let's play. This is actually, I, I almost never want to hear what the questioner has to say. But the question is, I find the question very interesting. So let's play the question and then we'll get to her answer. What happens in politics when identities clash? And on the progressive side, even within the progressive side, identities often clash. So you mentioned bathroom bills in passing. You know, there's a big fight in America between trans people and, and feminist women um, over uh, that issue. Uh, and it seems to me that if your political disagreement is rooted too much in identity, then that's a bit of a dead end. Because if you and I disagree on something, and we both say we're disagreeing because of our identity, there's frankly nowhere for us to go. Um, you can't persuade me, I can't persuade you, because neither of us can change our identity. And at that point, you need to appeal to a bigger story. So I was wondering if you could say something on that and about the, the difference between kind of good identity politics and bad identity politics. That is very revealing, because that, to me, is the entire reason that identity politics exists, because it's it's irreconcilable. You cannot change a person's identity. So if you couch conflict in identity, it is irreconcilable. It is. And and that divide and conquer theory is what underlies this ideology of tyranny. You absolutely, if you can separate the people out, especially in a democracy, so they cannot reconcile. Whereas liberty and justice for all is a is something that people could band together to work for. You have to identify what it is that 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 creates the conflict, that the what your goal is. So 
I want to play her second clip. Do you have any anything to add to that? Yeah, uh, people are they don't notice this yet. They're trying to push the same movement. So I think this is very. What this, do you mean? Like he, the um, he talked about the LBGT versus the transgender. Right. They're they're pushing for the same movements yet. One of them might get left out. Well, they, so I would say that's part of it too. That they want to keep their own people divided yeah. so that they really can never get the power. So I feel like at the at, at the party level, it's totally under control on the Republican and Democrat side. Whoever the establishment wants to get the nomination, I believe, actually does get it, including Trump. But they, these guys will, they need their own people to also have conflicts so that you can say, hey, you guys are never going to work it out. So just vote for who I tell you to vote for, and you keep your business to yourself. Don't split the ticket. That Just keep it together. So I want to play her response to that after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. They think they control the galaxy. I disagree. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. So we just played a clip of a guy at the Chatham House in England asking Stacey Abrams a question saying identity politics ultimately leads to a, a stalemate because you can't change your identity. And if your interests are so wedded to the, what makes your identity unique, you really can never come together. So what do you do then, he says. Then you need, um, what did he say? Then you need to to get people going on something else. I don't, I, a bigger story to unite them. Yeah, okay. Bigger story to unite them. So he's acting in good faith thinking that she is wants to unite, but... But this identity politics is the foundation of divide and conquer, in my opinion, because it cannot be reconciled. Whereas if your if your notion was the greatest good for the most people. So even Ron Paul, who is a libertarian based on his uh, his principles of do not steal and do not kill, said in his parting speech in Congress, I have concluded over these many years that the greatest good for the most people comes in from liberty. And I've always felt that that Ron Paul fights for liberty, but what he's really after is justice and that liberty and justice go hand in hand, as we've always been taught. But but if the idea is the most good for the most people, identity politics is probably not the way to go. But it's funny that she that's what I thought when he was asking this question. And she highlights a similar concept in her answer. So let's hear that now. I do know that there are going to be moments where there is a clash, but often the question becomes, does that clash benefit more people or not? And how real is that clash when played out writ large? The, and just to use a very, you know, to use the transgender bathroom example again, when that happened in North Carolina, they lost hundreds of millions of dollars in economic access. The easiest solution is what we've seen in a lot of spaces. For those who have normative gender standards, you have bathroom one, bathroom two, and then you have a transgender bathroom. There are economic solutions that may be uncomfortable or more expensive, but they actually can help resolve those deeper concerns. But the nature of society is the nature of figuring out when identities clash, how do you provide the greatest access to the greatest number of people? No one is ever gonna be perfectly satisfied and no one's identities are ever gonna be fully met and fully acknowledged. But identity politics demands that we have the conversation, and that's the progress I'm looking for. So for me, the dividing line there is that 
that there is common ground and that should be the parameters of what the government does. And that that makes you recognize the limited sphere of government coercion, that it has to be limited to what we have in common. And outside of that, it should not be a coercive environment. And what we have in common, generally, I think it's a legitimate dispute. Do we have in common this need for liberty and this desire to pursue our own happiness? Or do we have in common the need for food and clean water? You know, I can see that being the ideological divide. But but as she points out, identity is irreconcilable. And you cannot... You cannot fit everybody together, but you can fit everybody together in necessities of self-defense and food. I would like to point out that her supporters would not, the bulk of her supporters would not be okay with that answer if they heard it. All right, I'm going to let you tell me why after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Don't hate the player, hate the game, son. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We're back. This is Monica Perez. We are talking about the we're getting deep on the philosophy of identity politics and the purpose, specifically in the context of how Stacey Abrams is not only I mean, I think she presents herself as somebody who is benefiting from it. But really, I don't I don't I think she's above that. I think that identity is actually the identity she's presenting as defining for her a black woman uh, from the South is is a lower level on the kind of three dimensional chessboard. If you go back and in any kind of deep state reading uh, or, or who's really running the world kind of thing, you always see, especially mid 20th century, that. The it's this international power elite. It's a and and its defining characteristic is that it is above national loyalty. So they're loyal to each other. They work together. This is the theory. Anyway, this is kind of the grand conspiracy idea is that no matter what culture or creed or nation or anything like that, they are all united at the top to achieve central power, central uh, uh, control and that they want to control the entire money supply. I mean, look at how Venezuela is brought to its knees by the lack of access to international markets. Same thing with Iran. Like that, Those are the levers of power. And this international elite is above uh, personal identity outside that identity of being the elite first and foremost. I believe she is in that category. So she presents herself as having an identity that's relatable to the people that she wants to bring on her side for policy reasons. But the policy reasons are are her goal as her assignment from on high. If you listen to the beginning of this show, you heard like where her training comes from and how she is truly a a credentialed um trained member of this international power elite and i want to so binkley so we we just played a couple of clips of her at the chatham house which is the mothership of the cfr which is the mothership of the the u.s elite and in the actual uh topic of this speech discussion panel whatever was identity politics and the guy asked her well if once you once you get down to where there are no common interests and you get down to the real true, the thing that makes different identities, different identities are the things that separate us. That's irreconcilable. Then what do you do? And she says, well, you can't please everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I say, yeah, that's so then if you're really saying the greatest good for the most people, 
let's talk about what that really means. And I cited Ron Paul's concept that liberty is the thing that gets the greatest good for the most people. And for me, I would say what you really want is justice. And I agree with Ron Paul that liberty yields justice and that it's not just the greatest good for the most people in that sense, but that it is it is it is the one good kind of cosmic moral good is to have uh, the is to have justice, individual justice and the liberty to act and suffer the consequences, but but contain the consequences to yourself. So you can't act and have other people suffer those consequences. But if you act and your consequences are your, that is justice, not social justice where everybody gets food, which everybody should have food. And I believe that we were at the technological place in human development where everybody absolutely could have food in a state of liberty. And even maybe even in a state of tyranny, everybody could have food. But like, that's where we are. And, but she's saying, She's approaching it from a little bit of different. We should play that clip again, even though it was kind of long. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, we'll play it again. All right, let's play it again. I do know that there are going to be moments where there is a clash, but often the question becomes, does that clash benefit more people or not? And how real is that clash when played out writ large? The, and just to use a very, you know, to use the transgender bathroom example again, when that happened in North Carolina, they lost hundreds of millions of dollars in economic access. The easiest solution is what we've seen in a lot of spaces. For those who have normative gender standards, you have bathroom one, bathroom two, and then you have a transgender bathroom. There are economic solutions that may be uncomfortable or more expensive, but they actually can help resolve those deeper concerns. But the nature of society is the nature of figuring out when identities clash, how do you provide the greatest access to the greatest number of people? No one is ever going to be perfectly satisfied. And no one's identities are ever going to be fully met and fully acknowledged. But identity politics demands that we have the conversation. And that's the progress I'm looking for. It's funny because I caught something new listening to it a second time. She says a clash. Does the clash benefit more people. And I say the clash is what benefits the elite, that that she uses that litmus test, but not for the people, but for the elite. But you were saying something before the break, so you can comment on that, but then I want to go back to what you said before. A large portion of her supporters would not be okay with that with what? answer. Specifically, the part about transgenders having to have a third bathroom. Her supporters, they use the hashtag, and this is straight from Linda Sarsour, trans rights are women's rights. That very much comes into conflict with that. If trans can't use the women's bathroom, is she saying they need yeah, to have their own bathroom? Yeah, I was surprised bathroom? she said that it would be uh, a third bathroom. Yeah. I was surprised at that. My position on the bathrooms is equipment should match equipment. Right. I, I, <laughs> because otherwise there's a sanitation issue. Her solution there is is perfectly reasonable, but the way she uh, rallies people is not that message. That's interesting. Well, we have seen that she puts different messages out depending on her audience. So we played earlier two clips, one of her saying this road to the White House, oops, I mean Governor's Mansion, yeah. from like a year ago, and then just from a month ago from... I think this speech, she said, oh, I'll take care of world oppression or whatever when I'm president. Ha ha ha. And everybody laughs. But in between that, a couple of months ago, 
some regular interviewer said to her, oh, it looks like you're on the road to the White House. She said, he said, it looks like you, you want to be president. She said, president of my HOA, maybe. Yeah. So she and she actually talks about crafting. Doesn't she talk about crafting her message to the audience, to what people want to hear? I actually we we've played that extensively on some of these past episodes that we've done. So if people look at the most recent posting on thepropreport.com, they'll find links to all of the stuff we've done on the governor's race here, Stacey Abrams. So I found that I just found that very interesting that they the way to talk about identity politics as a way of getting the most good for the most people, that just doesn't even make sense to me because the most good for the most people, you have to identify the common interests of human beings. And the common interest, so to me, race is superficial. Gender, it's that stuff is, I mean, I, I, I believe sexuality is fundamental, but as far as civil law, the stuff that really that really matters such as the protections in our bill of rights are absolutely human. Those are the human rights. You know what I mean? Those are the rights that each one of us absolutely needs the right to trial by jury. I mean, there are definitely radicals who would say no, that it's that you don't get that right, that you have to, that, that you have to crack eggs to make an omelet. But, I think if you want to talk about the most good for the most people, I would say it is a it is an uncompromising defense of the of the ability to protect yourself from those who have physical force. That's what I would say would be the most fundamental. And we all share that. Every single person could have that if we have an unyielding defense of the protections in the Bill of Rights, for example. But the people I want to talk about at the top of the hour are not do not enjoy those protections so i want to uh oh we have to play the fifth grader essay oh the the fifth grader essay yeah yeah so i think we have to play this clip this is this is a story that she has as part of her legacy. So in eighth grade, she was auditioning for the high school. And her parents were civil rights activists with graduate degrees. And she tells this story. Uh, in the, and it just doesn't, to me, it smacks somewhat of... Uh, has mythical elements to it, not strictly by the book. So let's play it, play the clip, and then we'll talk about it. Let's I won an essay contest as a, as a fifth grader. And my dad took me to go pick up the $50 check, which at that point seemed like I'd won the lottery. <laughs> and so he's sitting in the car, and he tells me to just go in and grab it and get my award. And so I run inside, and I'm still inside, and he finally comes in to find out why I'm there. And it's because the woman in charge refuses to give me my award. She didn't believe I was the student who won it. And she said, well, she was demanding ID. I'm in fifth grade. I don't have ID. <laughs> but my name is Stacy Abrams. And she refused to believe that I was the author. And she was quizzing me on what I'd written in my essay. Now, she wasn't the judge. She was simply the person, the PTA member, who was sitting at the table to give me the money. 
but she took it upon herself to question the validity of my identity because I didn't fit her normative standard of who should be winning this award in Gulfport, Mississippi. That's fifth grade. I can give you a litany of stories. And what happens because of stories like that, either you become more inured to it or you bend into it and you become overwhelmed by it. I'm fairly obstinate, so, and, and I was a good writer, so I knew it was mine and I wanted my money. And, <laughs> but what that has led to is a stronger response from me because the two things I understood, my, when my dad, who was very angry, took me home, he and my mom had a conversation with me and it wasn't you know, sort of a sitcom conversation. It was, you know, this is gonna happen and you just, you need to know what to do and you did what you were supposed to do, which is you don't let someone tell you who you are. That has been my mantra ever since. There's a lot there that, why are you, why are you That noting? is insidious, in my opinion. Okay. She says that that woman's normative standard of who should win that award, she didn't believe that that would be her. That was someone who was there who had a child come up and said, give me money. She, she's supposed to get an ID from anyone who wins a contest. Of course. I mean, and I think she was, it's completely plausible that she was quizzing her to let her get away with not yes. having her ID. And to project that negative, insidious yes. intent is terrible. Yes, she's imputing base motives on that woman. And the first time I ever even heard that expression, I was reading Witness by Whitaker Chambers, highly recommend. And he said one of the things his mother taught him, I actually for a while had on my wall the things his mother taught him. One was to never impute base motives on somebody. You cannot, it is downright unchristian to impute base motives like that. And it, and it just, and if I had done that to my kids, first of all, they wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have gone in by themselves and they right. would have come out. They wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been angry. They would have been angry at me. Like, mom, why would you do that? You need an ID. Like, exactly. how could you do that to me? Let's let, let's wrap this up after the break. And then let's move on to uh, some of the people you don't know the, the anything about their real story. And you should, we're going to do that at the top of the hour, but we'll finish this up after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Evil does seek to maintain power by suppressing the truth. On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. We're back. So, yeah, we just played this thing of Stacey Abrams telling this story about when she was a fifth grader and her dad sent her in just to some place to get an award she won, which I thought was weird. Like, if there's a check, either you have an award ceremony or they drop it in the mail. But... You know, maybe she went in and maybe the entire story is completely true. But her her upshot is the woman said I needed ID to pick up my check. And when I didn't have ID, she started asking me questions about the essay I wrote to win the check. And she did that because of the way I looked. And I just don't get that A to B to C. Me either. But that that projects oh. to her audience that everything is done because of the way they look. Well, this is what I don't like about that kind of thing. Because to have that idea that there's nothing you can do, it's all about your identity, and other people's views of you is very disempowering. It's disempowering. But it was interesting, you made a point at the break, that uh, she said, my dad was angry. When I came out, the dad was saying, and so, but in my experience with my kids, my kids would have been angry with me. Yeah. Like, Mom, I didn't have an ID. Why couldn't you just park the car and come in with me? That's crazy. I'm 10, you know? Um, but you were saying that to the extent every detail there is true, that you think- I think he did it on purpose. He might have, he, could have done I found old newspapers of him doing stuff like that when she was a kid, getting arrested. Wow. And uh, 
because he was civil rights activism, putting himself in a situation that he knows is going to be able to blow up into a narrative that he can spin. Oh, method activism. There you go. That was Byron's <laughs> glossary term when he called it on the weekend. Yeah, method activism. That's exactly what it is. So, uh, yes, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. And she said after the event, her parents sat down and told her this is going to happen all the time. And it's the same thing with the Starbucks when they when they 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 had a training session after the Starbucks incident where they said, "Hey, this is much worse than you think," and every. Everybody hates each other. It's like, how is that going to yeah. make things better? This was her training. Her dad was training her. Right. And and the more you instill a real belief in this injustice, the more of an activist you're, you're going to have. And you can do that very young. She talks about the importance of getting to kids when they're very young. Mm-hmm. So let's switch gears at the top of the hour and... Uh, um, if you want to hear, if you want to go back, there's a lot of stuff to digest. Go to thepropreport.com. You can get all our episodes and our links. Thanks. This is Monica Perez. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.